Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James, joined by Joe Johnson. How's it going? Dan Crawford. Hi there. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. So this is our extra bit of content that we bring you every week. And today we're going to be previewing Aston Villa, the thriller against the Villa on Saturday at Craven Cottage. It's going to be a big game uh, and a crucial run of fixtures that is coming up for Fulham. Six games all against promotion contenders. Uh, just before we get into Villa, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. And right now, if you sign up and deposit £50 into your account, then Ladbrokes will match your deposit up to 50 quid. You can get this offer by following the link at bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So, as I mentioned, it's the start of a very tough run of fixtures. Aston Villa visiting the cottage on Saturday for a crunch clash we managed to beat them in a dramatic game last season but this is a far better Aston Villa side that we come up against on Saturday Dan Uh, it is but uh, I don't think we should be fearing uh, anybody at this point we've proven our quality Um, we you know and we have the potential to land a few knockout blows ourselves you know you have to look at um, some of the players they've obviously got talented players in, in their lineup, but they've also got some areas where we could uh, enjoy ourselves. They've got two uh, fullbacks who are largely offensive fullbacks rather than solidly defensive fullbacks. And any Scotland fan who's reflected on the career of Alan Hutton knows that you know disappointment is is, is around the corner somewhere. Um, so I feel like uh, Ryan Sessegnon could. Um, give him a rude awakening on uh, on on Saturday. You've also got their pair of uh, centre backs. You know, I'm not going to pontificate uh, at length on the uh, rights and wrongs of John Terry. You know, uh, the court of public opinion has long since rendered their uh, their verdict on on that particular individual. Would have enjoyed and, it though. It would have been um, quite a nice way to spend 15 minutes. Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm sure if Fulhamish extra extra ever comes out, you can. You can... Uh, yeah, that's can... dropping in your podcasts on uh, Sunday morning. Crawford's <laughs> oh, court hearings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but on, on, on his defensive ability, you know, he's getting rave reviews at the moment um, for not doing very much, as far as I could see it. You know, it'll be interesting to see if the uh, John Terry exemption from the handball rule... Uh, applies at, at Craven Cottage again because it, it, it normally does and I feel like he could be frightened by some pace um, you know we also have a large number of black forwards who could run at him which would make him feel very uncomfortable and <laughs> I mean <laughs> wow there are plenty of ways in which we can test out the the immobility shall we say of that uh, ageing Aston Villa backline. You know, so pace is at, is of the essence come Saturday. You point out some very valid weaknesses, Dan, but Joe, Villa going into this game second in the league. They've won seven games on the bounce. For me, all kind of kick-started by their demolition of Bristol City at the beginning of January, which was an unexpected win for them back then, which is a 5-0 absolute whitewash against a Bristol City that looked bang in form at the time. So they're going to go into this with a lot of confidence. They're going to be coming down to London confident of three points no matter the opposition that they're coming up against they'll know that Fulham's going to be a tough challenge but they'll be thinking that they're going to get three points and that's going to be that's going to be difficult for us and something different to what we've faced over the past few weeks aside with huge confidence behind them no since that Bristol City when they've really really kicked on their season is definitely underway they've just uh, leapfrogged Derby as well which is a, a big moment for them considering where they were 
Seven on the bounce shows they have got real quality in, in their side. They are going to come at us. A lot of teams that play us, we're used to them sitting back and waiting for, for us to dictate the play, dictate the game, go at them. This is not going to be the case of Aston Villa. And I, and I think, as Dan pointed out last, uh, last podcast, that may be a place that we can exploit a weakness because we play our best football sometimes when people are coming at us and we catch them on the break because we have such uh, offensive weapons to use against these teams we're, we're not short on our on our arsenal strikers and, and wingers that we could really bring it to them and definitely in the case of of their defense their defense i would say is probably their weakest part of the team that is there to be exploited however are we going to be clinical enough to do that in an efficient way and that's that's the only question i have uh, speaking of absolute weapons jack collins um their front three of albert Adona, <laughs> scott hogan uh, and robert snodgrass have all been prolific over the past few weeks with uh, Grealish and hurasan really starting to show some of the promise um in the center of the park they've got some real attacking potency I feel like Manchester United has been thrown under Jose Mourinho's bus. Um, yeah, Not before um, time, son. Yeah, look, I mean, I, that wouldn't have been the triumvirate I would have picked from Villa. Obviously, in Glenn Whelan, Scott Hogan and Conor Hurahan, they have three of the championship's most effective and class players. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, three men of proper calibre, you know, really, really you know, good. Out. World class. <laughs> Just world class players of an international standard. Um, Are they off to Russia this summer? All right, then. <laughs> oh, my God. God, literally, it's throw Jack under the bus, that is it? All right, I'll see you. Come on, come on, let's bring this back. Let's bring yeah. this back. Right. I mean, it's... Five, it's it's Me and incre- Cyrus Christie together here just having, a, having not a good time. Fulham's um, defence is going to be under some pressure. Yeah, that? yes. Uh, Robert Snodgrass is a, an unbelievably good footballer and a Celtic fan, which makes him a good person. Um, so he's, you know, obviously very, very good on a dead ball, on a crossing ball. Uh, and he does, without particularly any pace, seems to terrify defences, which, which is an interesting kind of proposition in this day and age. Um, Scott Hogan's obviously on a really good run of form and has... You know, there was a lot of talk about him at Villa not ever really showing any consistency. And a lot of Villa fans I spoke to said, we're not really sure what he does. You know, yeah, he occasionally gets in and score goals, but we're not quite sure what type of striker he is. We're not sure what kind of system he thrives under. Goal scoring one. He's changed that in the lot since the new year. He's really become, you know, really become kind of integral to their system and and really shown the kind of calibre that made them pay that much for him in the first place, which is good. And we know exactly what Adome is capable of. We're not, you know, we've, we've watched him enough times and watched him, you know, do his thing at this level. You know, I remember him coming down in the Middlesbrough shirt and absolutely tearing us to pieces at the cottage. He's a sensationally good player and on his day is very very hard to control so we're going to have to deal with that front three I think that the kind of mid midfield trio and the midfield battle is where this is going to be won and lost uh, and in you know Berka Bjarnason who's had a, a re- was actually dropped at the weekend but has up to that point has been you know nigh on fantastic for the entire calendar year shall we say um, alongside you know Conor Hurahan who you know came another piece of magic at the weekend and you know I know I've waxed lyrical about him before so I'm not going to go and do it again but he's he you know he's, he's an exceptional player at this level uh, and between you know in that midfield with you know there's obviously a lot of experience in in Whelan in you know Mila Yedinak there's enough quality there to to really you know give our midfield a test and give him a challenge but we should have the capability to if not dominate to at least you know, battle up there and, and have that as a, a good midfield battle with, with plenty of kind of quality on both sides. I was speaking to a Villa mate of mine and he said, in his opinion, outside of Wolves, Jack Grealish is the best midfielder in this division. 
Would you agree? I, I think he's up there. I, I really do. I, you know, the, for the first time this year, Grealish has started to grab games by the scruff of the neck. And I hate Jack Grealish because he abandoned, you know, the lads, basically. But he, um, but he, he is a wonderful player, and he's a mercurial player. is a good is a good way of describing him. But when he grabs games and when he you know does dominates them like he did at the weekend in the second city derby where he literally just took the game by the scruff of the neck and he was being hacked from all angles in that game. He's a brilliant footballer and and the facts the facts are that he is one of the top I'd say one of the top three players at this level in the championship um, I wanted to come on to the weak spots in this Villa team but Dan you, you addressed them quite well in your um, your opening prelude uh, to this Villa preview um, however John Terry let's come back on to him is it nailed on that he's going to be at the centre of everything at the weekend I feel like it's nailed on for him to score I just feel like it's nailed on well, I did. It's it's quite painful that you bring this up. I did write an article before the reverse fixture, outlining all the reasons why Fulham fans and any sort of respectable human being should have great contempt for John Terry. And then he promptly scored. So I feel like he's done that now. And of course, he celebrated in front of the Fulham fans. He's going to be fired um, up for this one. Well, I'm sure he is, and we will be as well. But I think we need, as 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 Fulham, this game is bigger than John Terry. You know, he is not a nice man. He parks in disabled bays. He takes other, <laughs> he takes other people's wives home. He offers to show dodgy characters around training grounds. We we could we could list all those admirable qualities in in captains of national football teams um, if we want to. But this game is not John Terry versus Fulham. It's a pivotal battle between two sides who are looking to play back in the Premier League. And I feel like it'll be good for raising an atmosphere. But as the Fulham fan base, we need to play more than just John Terry. And actually giving him a load of abuse in the, in the prelude to the game and in at the game itself will only fire him up even more. And he does tend to turn on a performance when that, when that happens. So I think we need to, to be wise to that as a, as a supporter base. How crucial, Joe, do you think this game is in terms of the league table. Obviously, you mentioned earlier how Villa have climbed into second position. They'll be confident if they get a win that that might be the bit of distance they need in order to start making second place their own. However, it's kind of the point where now, because we're playing top teams, they are six pointers in that very real sense of if we win on Saturday, not only do we get three points, but we get three points closer or three points further away, let's say, if it's a different team, from a team that's battling with us. So how pivotal is this game on its own in terms of Fulham and Villa's own promotion prospects? I think this is a bigger game, in my personal perspective, uh, to Villa, in terms of achieving the the automatics, because they really, really want to push on now. Derby have a history of, of bottling these kinds of positions, and they're, they're definitely living up to that. Um, so they're going to want to. They're going to want to push clear. They're going to know we're not uh, any a team that sort of lays down and and enjoys being beaten in possession and and up front. So to them, I think it is a bigger game. I it's not it's not nice to say that I don't mind us losing because losing a, a game is is horrible. But if we don't win this game, I don't think it's the the be all and end all of our promotion push because. Automatics for us, it's not out of the question, but 
I just don't know what the possibility is um, of of us reaching automatic. So as as long as we're in that comfortable bracket where we reach the the playoffs, I I, I don't think that this game for us is that pivotal. It's it's huge in the sense of what it means and what it could mean. But if we were to to lose or walk away with a point, it's it's not the end of the world. And to be honest, a point against Villa wouldn't wouldn't be would actually be quite a, quite a big achievement. I think. I'm. Yeah, I think. Uh... If you offer me a point now, I'd snap your arm off. I wouldn't snap your arm off. I'd probably take it for, you know... A couple of pints. <laughs> yeah, a couple of pints down. No, but I, th- I think a draw... I, I don't think a draw would be a bad result, let's put it that way. But I do think we can win this game. I think it's one of those ones that can go either way. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game and it's going to be a, hopefully a good game. And I, I'm excited to watch it more than anything. I posted at the weekend that... I really do think it's going to be a good game of football. And uh, there are two exciting teams in good runs of form who do tend to play the right way. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that should make for an exciting game and hopefully one that we'll come out on top of. Dan, what 11 would you go with uh, on Saturday against Villa? You mentioned in the podcast on Monday how you would start Mitrovic up front. What other changes, if any, uh, would you select? It's obviously dependent on fitness and, and, yeah, and yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. Uh, don't, hey, bore, don't bore us with facts. Sorry, sorry, Donald don't Trump. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> sorry, Dan. Donald Trump. Uh, ben Elliott goal. Fredericks, Callas, Reem, Target, McDonald, Kenny, Johansson, Sessegnon, Ojo, and Mitrovic. Ojo. Okay, Indeed. Ojo and Mitrovic, that's an interesting combo to go for. Is Ojo back now? Well, he's back in training. Which low knee are you dropping um, out of the squad? That's the interesting question. I I would have to say that Lucas Piazon hasn't been at his uh, been at his best uh, of, of late. Uh, I thought he was poor at Barnsley and I thought he really struggled at times um, on Saturday. It's not to say he can't play a massive part uh, in the remainder of the season. I just think pace is going to be really important. Um, and you know when Ojo is on, he's shown that not only can he be uh, be irresistible down the wing, but he's a goal threat as well. Okay, and Joe, um, what kind of lineup? Not necessarily a full eleven, but no. then, well, what changes uh, <laughs> would you go for? I wasn't actually saying anything. I was just trying to say. Um, if I'm perfectly honest, I'd I'd put out an, an unchanged side really. I'd stick to the same. Even side though you said Kamara up front, I did say Kamara, but in 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 hindsight. Thinking about their defence, what Rui Font does best is he harasses defenders. He really, he really does. Although he's not the most physical man, he really gets in their face, and that that was seen from um, when when he capitalised on the, on the mistake against Bolton. Although he missed the chance, I don't think that chance would have been created if it was anyone else chasing down that ball because it's that's just something that he does. Um, but unfortunately, he just he lacks the end product, and that's something that maybe we'll then have to look at swapping out for AK or. Mitrovic in in the second half, but I think it, it's definitely important that uh, Fonte starts up top just to harass that that back line. I also think Font as well deserves the, st- uh, the start up front for all of Terry's faults uh, as a human. He's a very intelligent uh, centre back, and I'm not sure that. Kamara is what we want to be seeing up against John Terry and I think that Font has more of the guile uh, that we need to potentially break open this Villa defence which whilst it doesn't look like the strongest point of their team hasn't conceded too many goals this season I still think they're under 30 goals conceded uh, this season Jack what lineup would you go for if you were Slavisa I mean I spoke uh, in the last podcast that I would start Font up top what I think is important to remember is that what we do is we play our front three 
that you know to to strength basically. So if Font starts, then Piazon should start. If if AK starts, then Cabano should start on his right. If we haven't quite worked out what Mitrovic is going to offer yet in terms of you know we know he's going to be physical, but we don't know who he works necessarily best with. I'd be tempted to say that if Mitrovic starts, I'd potentially play Cyrus Christie on the right wing. There's a big call. Mm. Because Cyrus Christie has a whip on him. And and one of the things he's really good at is getting the ball wide and delivering crosses. And I spoke to a couple of Middlesbrough fans, and they said his best performance this season has come when he was played as a right winger against against QPR, where he literally was a menace from the right wing, just delivering and delivering and delivering. And I think if you've got a striker with the aerial capacity of Alexander Mitrovic, then having someone who's, you know, Sessignon doesn't swing balls into the box. It's just not what he does. And having someone who has that ability to... Put you the know, ball in on Saturday. Yeah, but it's not his, not the the point, the punt of his game, shall we say? Um, I think Christie's, I think Christie's ability to cross the ball might end up being quite a potent weapon for us. And in that case, I think you know Ojo probably drops out of the squad for me if Christie starts there. Um, uh, but if not, then I'd be interested to see what happens and see who connects, which winger it is that's going to connect with Mitrovic to to make things happen. Well, let's get a bit more word on this right now. Jack speaking to Bleacher Reports football expert Santai about Saturday's clash and the championship promotion push in general. So, Sam, thank you very much for joining me and talking about a little bit about Aston Villa, a bit about Fulham, a little bit about the championship in general. Basically, let's start with Villa. They're obviously on a mad run of form at the moment, winning seven in a row. What's behind the streak of form? Have this side finally clicked? They've definitely clicked. They're definitely a team. I think for a long stretch of time, they felt like a club with the most talented individuals on the on, on the squad list. So you look at Snodgrass and Adoma and Codger, who's injured, and Hogan. You think fantastic players, but it's not really being knit together from an attacking perspective. They've always been stingy, right? If you take out the first like three, four games when there was a collapse at Cardiff, which yeah. to be fair, John Terry was horrified by, and I believe that's one of the one of the main catalysts for change. The away form has been has been crucial. Um, They've always been stingy defensively. It's come together from an attacking perspective. And you have to say the catalyst for that is Jack Grealish, right? Yeah, definitely. So after returning from a really weird kidney injury uh, dealt by a Watford preseason, I think it was Tom Cleverley landed on him in preseason. A lacerated kidney, three, four months out. Steve Bruce said at the start of the season, I want to build my entire team around Grealish. Every single Villa fan accused him of lying because he's got this reputation as this defensive coach, right? And they were like, oh, he's just saying that now because he's out for three, four months. To be fair to Steve Bruce and pretty much every single Villa fan has eaten their words on this one. Since Grealish has come back to fitness, he has played as the number 10 or something verging on the number 10 in every single game. He's having more of an impact on games. He's finishing far more games than he used to. And he is the focal point for the entire attack. And he has completely changed the attacking philosophy that Villa are utilising. I.e. it is now a team-oriented approach. It has been stitched together by Grealish. Now, obviously, there are a number of pieces at play here. Snodgrass, Adoma, Hogan's uh, reinvention or uh, recapturing the re- form. The reclamation of yeah. Scott Hogan. Yeah, the reclamation of Scott Hogan with, with uh, you know, scoring at scoring this point. Um, and also, even though he didn't score in the derby against Birmingham, he played extremely well, harassed the centre-backs, pressed... All of that has come together, I think, in one, but Grealish is the main one. There's also maybe maybe an honourable mention for Steve Agnew attack, um, appointed as an attacking coach. It's always very difficult to measure what coaches bring uh, to these situations. I think, remember when Arsenal went on a crazy 
clean sheet run at the start of the season just after Steve Bold had been appointed and everyone was like, oh, Steve Bold, he's amazing. They fell apart shortly afterwards. Yeah, yeah. How can you quantify a coach's impact? It's hard, but I think Bruce was a little short-staffed and Agnew, I think, has probably made a little bit of an impact as well. At the very least, it's it's sort of removed Calderwood, Colin Calderwood's mitts on the attack and he is a defensive coach. So I think it's all kind of come together in the space of a month, but Grealish... Grealish is the answer to the question. You'd imagine at the weekend that Kevin McDonald's role in the Fulham side will be to try and shackle Jack Grealish. Is that the key to Fulham sort of getting any joy out of that, you know, that midfield battle? Yeah, it's the start of it to, to stop Grealish is the start of that battle. But he's really hard to actually contain, mostly because even when you think you've got him, he ends up earning fouls anyway. He's obviously got a lot stronger lower body and upper body and he shields it really well. He turns, you think you've got him and then you fouled him, he's on the floor. I mean... The kit man must have a nightmare with his shorts after every single game. They're completely different colour. So with Grealish, you always think you've got him and then you haven't. He just slips out of your grasp. And also he drifts over to the left side and Albert Adoma then runs inside. So it's a move that is started by Grealish drifting to the left and whoever plays right back for Fulham will then have to be aware that Adoma will then dart inside as evidenced by the goal like against the goal, Birmingham yeah. City. I mean, that happens every single game. Every single game, and no one can really get their hands on it. I've seen a lot of right-backs for the op- opposing teams have possibly the worst game of their career against Villa this season because of this combination. Yeah. So stopping Grealish stops that combination, but it's about whether you can do it, and you have to be aware that it's only one part of it. If you put him on the floor, but he releases the ball to Adoma, you're in trouble as well. So Fulham obviously have two excellent right-backs now in the squad after strengthening in January. Fyron Fredericks is a potent attacking weapon shall we say with that pace down the right hand side we also now have Cyrus Christie who some people have mentioned is potentially a little bit more solid defensively it's a question of whether you know whether Villa's attacking threat down that side is matched by Adoma's work rate in tracking back and Fulham's wing backs are not wing backs they're full backs but play a wing back role are very very much part of the Fulham Arsenal what's Adoma's kind of tracking back right in in terms of that and how does that kind of affect how Fulham approach that do you think? Well, he, he works hard he does and I've never seen him track back as much as he did in the derby which is fair enough you can understand on the occasion he was willing to put the work in Snodgrass and Adoma worked their socks off defensively. Adoma was often... You know how sometimes you see Alexis Sanchez in the corner flag defending? He used to do for Arsenal. He was doing that, and I've never seen him do that to that extent before in my life. To be fair, Birmingham's wingers as well, Magoma and Boga, were both doing the same thing as well. It was just a hotly contested battle. Whether they bring that same energy into Fulham away, I'm not sure, but Adoma doesn't shirk. And he knows he can't because Hutton is probably the weakest player on the team. And Hutton is playing left-back. So he is his full-back partner. So he really does have to go back and help. I've seen Fredericks attack live at the Cottage several times. I've seen him attack against Aston Villa last season in the 3-1 victory. He is a sight to behold moving forward. His low crosses are terrifying for defenders. His movement by, to the byline is really impressive. Adoma should know that he has his work cut out here. He really does need to pull his weight. So that's a, a key battle already that we're lining up there on the yeah. right-hand side. A big one is the midfield, and we're going to speak you know, in greater depth about this later, but... What side kind of do you expect to see on Saturday? And I'm mainly talking here about the Yedinak Bjarnason kind of battle in the middle. Um, you know, obviously Berka Bjarnason has been a big part of the seven-game winning run that Villa have been on and has played really well in that. But 
Uh, Mila Jednak was brought in obviously at the weekend in as a tactical manoeuvre against Birmingham. Do you expect him to keep his place or can we expect the Icelandic international back in the fold? I mean, I really don't know is the answer. It's probably not the answer you want, no, but I honestly don't know. I would, I, would, I would draw it up as 50-50 and it depends how proactive Steve Bruce is feeling on the day from a tactical perspective, how much of the ball he thinks he's going to get. You shouldn't expect a lot, to be honest, but it depends. I mean, Jednak did feel very specific to Birmingham because the Sam Gallagher flick-ons onto David Davis have been one of Birmingham's, well, probably Birmingham's chief weapon in attack this season. And putting Jedinak and Terry in, like, either like Sandwich and Gallagher, it really did reduce his effectiveness in the air. He didn't get a lot of the ball. Does that need to happen for Fulham's forwards? Probably I don't not. think it needs to happen. Yeah. So it depends. Bjarnason, much more mobile. Slightly less... Well, no, he is a lesser player defensively, but he's better on the ball and he's more mobile. I think for this game... Given how how quickly you zip the uh, Fulham zip the ball around, I think Bjarnason is the choice. Um, but it seems like a bold call either way. In it, it, and it yeah. did, it did putting Jedinak in, in in the derby. It felt really bold but correct to put Jedinak in. Ripe for backfiring, mind you, if it doesn't go right. Yeah. And once again, we're in that position where it could be a genius move. It could be a disaster. I I reckon he'll go for Bjarnason. Because he managed to talk Bjarnason out of leaving in January because he'd been part of the team. And the last thing you want to do is you end January and Bjarnason's out of the team again. That's not the way to treat players. I think either are fine. It is a nice problem to That's have. A good problem. By the way, Glenn Whedon's third choice out yeah, there yeah. like, oh, can I play? Or nope, never no, mind. The answer no, is no, the answer is no at this Glenn, point. Um, so it is a nice problem to have. I'd probably shade Bjarnason, but I'd give it like a 55-45 yeah. sort of toss-up either way. Okay, fair enough. So... In terms of exploiting Villa and utilising Fulham's weapons, where are Villa's weaknesses? We talked on the podcast earlier on about the fact that there's a potential lack of pace in the back line, and which was evidenced at the weekend by Sam Gallagher getting in behind Terry for the chance where he hit the post. Is that where Fulham can cause problems chiefly, do you think? You'd think on paper, but I am expecting a kind of 70-30 possession split in favour of Fulham in this game because Villa have become kind of masters of the 1-0 away win where they just kind of muck in, stand up and then nick one using individual quality. The performances home and away are vastly different, which is, that's fine. That's that's absolutely fine from Villa's perspective. It does the job. Um, So whether or not there'll be that space... I'm not so sure. Yes, if it's available, Villa are in trouble because Chester's not the quickest either. In fact, the whole back line is 29 or or, or older yeah. and in John Terry's case, significantly older. So it's very rare that Villa get caught out in that situation. He's only really ever at home. So I would say, having conceded three and seven, it must be quite a galling task really to, to go about working out how you get at Villa. Against the odds, I would say that running at El Mahamedy would be the best bet down the Bring other right flank. Back. I mean, usually it's Young, Hutton, right? Usually Young it's Hutton. Ryan but yeah, precisely. So I think it's Sessignon versus El Mahamedi is is the crucial part of Fulham's game because there have been some questions recently about whether or not El Mahamedi should actually be in the Villa team. That's not to say he's played poorly. It's just that when they're playing so well and they're winning seven in a row, average performances stand out. And El Mahamedi's defensive performances haven't been so strong. His overlapping strength for Snodgrass is undoubted. Yeah. But even against Birmingham, who are not offensively a very strong side, Jeremy Boger was the most dangerous player for Birmingham City, in my opinion, in the derby. Yeah. And that's because he would just move forward. And El Mahamedi had trouble with him. 
So I dread to think how he's going to deal with Sessegnon. Um, I would usually say at this point that Hutton is the weak link, but at left-back, he's actually behaving quite well. Yeah. Um, he doesn't go on these weird marauding Cafu-like runs. He doesn't get ahead of steam and start shooting and crossing. He's a bit concerned that he's on the weaker side. He just does he the just basics. Does, just does his job and yeah. then gives it to Adoma. And it's like the perfect formula. You wait till he gets too too confident on the left versus switching back to the right. Um, but for now, on the left, actually not a concern. Yeah. El Mahamedi versus Sessegnon is, is Bruce's biggest problem. Okay. So these are probably the two best midfields in the league going head-to-head. We're saying Kearney, McDonald and Johansson against, well, Bjarnason, Grealish and... God, I've lost my... Horror. And... Uh, the man himself. Sorry, I, I lost my heart in a, in terms of I got too excited about the fact that Conor Hurahan is coming to the cottage and obviously Conor Hurahan. Do you think it's going to be a good game of football? More, you know, in, in for the neutral? Because it screams to me like it should be. It, it should be, yeah. I fear it's going to be a little bit attack versus defence. I think I've just got these memories of the last meeting at Craven Cottage etched into my mind and I think it's going to be the same. But I have to remind myself that Codger was sent off fairly early in that and really set the tone for a very one-way performance in attack versus defence. But Villa away from home, it kind of plays into their hands a little bit. I mean, you have to get round the back of El Mahamedi and Hutton to hurt Villa. You're not going to be able to loft it into the box and hurt them necessarily because Terry just mops everything up and he's done that all season. It's very hard to play through Villa. So I expect I expect a battle on both flanks and that generally lends itself to a good game, right? Yeah, good, good wide, good wide play, good battles between wide players. That makes for exciting football, particularly when you're in the stadium and you see it so close up. Yeah, yeah. Particularly on your sideline, that's. I, I think it would be fine. I think it'll be good. I mean, I'd expect three goals at least. I was going to push you for a prediction before we move on to the championship. A little bit wider, in a little bit of a wider variable. What would you, what your call be for the weekend? I, I've been rolling this over my head a few times, and it is hard. I mean. I think given the way Fulham play and Fulham defend and how systematically they sort of leave their defenders a little prone to mistakes and things like that, I feel like Villa are going to score at least one. So Fulham need at least two. But I also don't really feel like Villa are going to lose. So I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. Two, 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 four goals. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think that's a reasonably sensible prediction. I wouldn't mind that. It's my uh, my birthday weekend this weekend. Uh, two all, I mean, obviously a Fulham win would be preferable, but two all in a good game of football I could potentially live with, especially if one of them does come from Hurahan. Uh, <laughs> What's your prediction? I said 2-1 Fulham, so we, um, we're, not, we're not miles apart. Yeah, of so. course, yeah. Um, so on a, on a wider scale, Villa obviously charged into the top two last weekend. Are Villa favourites for that second spot now? I think they are. I, I think it's in Villa's hands, and you have a, you know we we've spoken at length about the amount of games that people have in the Championship left, and there are lots of hard games for lots of teams. But I think it's in Villa's, you know, Villa's got hands, to, and and it's theirs to lose, if you will. I would say so. Now that Villa have finally hauled themselves into that position, all of a sudden everyone's nervous about lo- losing it. I think the second will change hands a few times, a good few times between now and the end of the season, but. I would make Villa favourites. Um, I think as a team, being so cohesive is cu- is crucial. The fact that they have better individuals than almost all of the teams, really. You know, maybe you could take two two or three teams out, but it's it's a top it's a top three side individual individually strength wise, yeah. and they also play as a team, which is huge. Um, this is the sort of this is the part of the season where you remember that Bruce has, you know, enjoyed a lot of promotions. And you remember how crucial that could be. And also something that maybe fans of other clubs outside Villa won't realise is that um, with the honourable exception of Fulham coming up this weekend, I believe Villa have now played all of the top eight away from home. 
or will have done after this. And the only games against the, the big guns, the top six coming, like Derby, like Wolves, they're at home. And Villa are near unbeatable at home. So the fixture list has certainly... It's certainly done, done Villa a favour in that they've got those really horrible games away at Pride Park, away at Sheffield United, away at Wolves. They're all out of the way and they're in this position where they're in second place. So I would say it's Villa's to lose and I would say Villa are the favourites. I'd still only give them a 50% shot at actually finishing second. I'd say playoffs are 100% guaranteed yeah. and it will change hands, but they're the favourites for me. If Villa did drop into the playoffs, is that uh, a situation you think would suit this team? Obviously, you know, we've spoke about the experience in it already, but it's, you know, it's very, very difficult. You know, last year, going into the playoffs, Fulham with a form team in the division and fell apart to what were and what are now a very poor Reading side. Um, and I think that part of that is just, you know, not necessarily having the experience and then the players that know how to go through those kind of things and know how to go through the motions there. Villa seem to have the kind of squad that might actually suit that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously, it's an eventuality that no fan wants to live through. It's no, nail-biting stuff, it's partic- particularly once you've got yourself into second, albeit with like 15, 16 games left. After like climbing into second place, having won the derby, I think a lot of fans felt like they won the league yeah. on Sunday, and it, and it's you, there's an emotional come down from that for sure. You'd think that the players are in a position to do so. I mean, several of these guys have won promotion via the playoffs with Hull under Steve Bruce. Yeah. El Mohamedy and possibly Snodgrass. I'd have to double check it, but it was, yeah. certainly certainly two of them, two of the guys that Bruce has brought in, the entire right side basically, has done this before. Bruce has done this before. Terry has been transformative in the way he goes about the game, in the way he manages games and the way he G's up his teammates. I would say that Okay, again, if Villa drop into the playoffs, they should be favourites to win the playoffs. It's just an eventuality that no one really wants to see happen. Let me put you on the spot one final time. If you were to call the league finishing now one to six, how would you call it? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a petrifying question. Walls top. Yeah, that one we. I think that one we can agree on. Cool. Villa second. Yeah. I'm not just being nice. Fulham third because. They're really heating up. It's yeah. undeniable. Um, Cardiff fourth because they won't go away. They won't. Just, I don't. I don't. I never watch Cardiff and think, yeah, very good team. I just think Cardiff, they do. They're just doing the business, and so they probably continue to do that business till the end of the season. So Inter- I'll go- interestingly, on that on that note, I don't rate Cardiff and I don't like them. And I was doing one of those championship predictors earlier today, and somehow Cardiff finished second in it, despite the fact that I was like, oh, they'll lose that. They'll lose that. And they still managed to come second in it, and it really, really upset. <laughs> I didn't know what to do about okay, it. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, see, they're sneaky. Yeah. Um, and then I'll go Derby fifth. Yeah. Preston sixth. That's a big call. With Sheffield United missing out as a result, and Borough out. Yeah, it is a big call. No, uh, no last-minute charge for Brentford. Then we'll let the Fulham fans will be glad to hear. No, but like, when do these things ever really go as you expect? So yeah. I thought I'd just stick Preston in uh, as a result of that. I also think like Sheffield United, since everyone worked out that they're like set-piece geniuses, they've been blunted significantly. Someone wrote an article detailing. Yeah, detailing what they do I read it I, so I think so did everybody else <laughs> and all the managers yeah, all the, unfortunately all the managers and all the scouts read it and now about 50% of their attacking output has died so yeah I, that's why I'm going Sheffield United out and Borough nah nah I'll just I'll go with Preston just just go the wild card Preston they've been good recently they, they, they look good good sign they good look sign. good so that's my one to six what is yours? mine would be similar apart from I had Bristol City in sixth okay 
Yeah, that was my. I still think I Bristol City have dropped off a little bit, but I still think that they'll be there or thereabouts at yeah. the end of the season. Uh, the the kind of pace and power of Bobby Reed scares me. Like I still have nightmares uh, <laughs> watching him torment the, the boys at the cottage. Sam, thank you very very much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it. For more cutting analysis across the world of football, you can follow Sam on Twitter at stigfootball. S T I G H E football. Well, hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Thank you for Jack and Sam Ty for giving us that preview for Saturday's game and generally the championship promotion picture as it looks as a whole. Uh, we just got to say a big congrats, by the way. I should have mentioned this in the last podcast, but I only just got around to it now. Uh, huge congratulations to the Fulham under-18s for their brilliant win uh, away at home park against Plymouth Argyle under-18s. means they're in the quarterfinals of the FA Youth Cup. And... Uh, a significant achievement for Hugh Jennings and, and his boys. Dan, you were there. Big trip down to Plymouth on a Wednesday night for you. Um, it's a brilliant 3-1 victory. And it, and maybe it could be our time to go far in this competition again. It's a few years since we got to that uh, two-legged final against Chelsea. We just came unstuck in the final few minutes. It could be history being made again this season. Yeah, I think the strength of this uh, side is they treat, treat every game on its merits. Um well, we should uh, congratulate the team because it was actually Plymouth are a very good team and they were uh, one of the surprise packages of this season's competition. They've beaten Manchester City and, and Burnley and they went ahead in this match. Um, so Fulham's under-18 showed some real character uh, to get back into it. Firstly, Luca Ashby-Hammond making some really good saves and then the game changed with uh, Nicholas Santos. Santos Classe scoring a wonderful goal on his 18th birthday. St. Nicholas. To get us very good, uh, to get us, we can see why you're in the game you're in, Sammy, um, to get us back into the contest. Uh, Fabio, Fabio Cavallio came off the bench um, to follow up his hat trick against uh, Reading at the weekend with a lovely goal to make it 2 1 in extra time. And then Jaden Harris uh, scored the winner, which means that we have an all London quarter final at home to either Tottenham Hotspur or Chelsea. Mm. Uh, because they still have to play in the, in the fifth round. And, you know, we've talked, I think, before on the podcast about the investment that Shahi Khan and the club have made in, into uh, the youth team set up. Uh, Hugh Jennings, obviously, is a huge part of that. But great credit to uh, Colin Amogbehin, the coach who's um, really melded this group of players together. Stephen Sessignon made a, made an ex, put in an excellent performance as a marauding centre-back. Uh, in that game, which might end up being his senior position. Well, I mean, it's an incredible victory. And also to to get two goals like that and added on time as well shows great character. It'd be great if we could get a good crowd down to that quarterfinal. It's taking place at Craven Cottage, no matter who uh, advances out out of Spurs or Chelsea. I mean, we just, it's incredible how much this academy has come on. Just even in, even 10 years ago, we weren't even in close to being in the position that we are now where there is a genuine I'd say there's at least three or four players there that could very much likely that's not a sentence uh, make the step up to the first team in the next few years yeah I mean I think even sooner than that so uh, Stevie Sassignon is is already yeah. con- considered uh, to be to be one of those players uh, you think Matt O'Reilly who's actually injured at the moment um, has featured for the first team uh, quite a lot um, 
already. And there's a lot of talent. Um, we've obviously got Timmy Abraham um, and Sonny Hilton, who's thought of as one of the the best number 10s in in youth football at the moment. The, the thing that people, Fulham fans, will love about this team is that they play really good progressive passing football. It's very easy on the eye. And they've got a great camaraderie within the squad. Um, so I'm sure the fans will come out to, to support the, the young lads, um, not just in this quarterfinal, but across all their fixtures between now and the end of the season. Um, very exciting times generally uh, regarding Fulham as well. And and also with the uh, Riverside consultation um, being extended by a few weeks, quite important that we all do our little bit to make sure we fill in that consultation and try and back the Riverside project that's going on. And you as uh, one of the senior members of the uh, of the FST, no doubt will be pushing for fans to do that. Yeah, I'm really gr- grateful for the opportunity to, to speak about this to, to your audience uh, tonight, Sammy. Um, in, in all seriousness, this is a massive uh, moment for, for Fulham uh, enshrining our or status at, at Craven Cottage, um, and there is significant. There is still some significant local opposition to these to these plans. You might have seen uh, the article in the Evening Standard and some tweets by somebody called the uh, London <laughs> Liberty Girl. Um, that, uh, was, uh, that was a good day, for I mean, her, wasn't it? I mean, you know, I, I feel like we should reflect on that just for a moment because she actually is somebody who is who gives lessons in social media expertise um, and. Charges people for the privilege of uh, of this, um, but yeah. So there is some significant local opposition to these plans. What we're asking the the deadline's been extended because there are uh, more reports to get about the impact on on uh, the River Thames uh, apparently. So the beauty of that is it allows more Fulham fans to to speak up about why the proposals are important, and that's obviously uh, four quick things. Uh, improving the look and feel of an established stadium, uh, protecting the heritage of Craven Cottage and keeping it enshrined as as a, as a football ground, um, bringing more economic uh, benefits to to the London Borough of Hampstead and Fulham because football fans do contribute a lot more to the to the local economy than people realise, um, and the amenity benefits of extending that Riverside Walk and providing more uh, community facilities in the in the uh, new stand. Um, the deadline's been extended to February the 26th. It's very simple to to comment. You just go on the Hampson and Fulham planning portal, select the application and, and give your views. And you can uh, give your views even if you're not a resident of the London Borough of Hampson and Fulham. What, we, just like London Liberty Girl? Um, yeah, but I don't think that she, um, she, she's gone through the, the planning process yet. I'll wait to, to read her comments because, you know, I'm sure we're waiting with with bated breath. breath for that. But in all seriousness, um, this is a massive moment for, for Fulham. I would go as far as to say this is more important than uh, any of the games we play uh, between now and the end of the season. So if people can check out that website, there are obviously links on the Fulham Sports Trust uh, website, which I'd encourage you all to, to, to have a look at if you can. And also the Twitter account, which is um, at Fulham Sup Trust, which uh, is always a good account to uh, follow anyway for, for all your throwbacks and general uh, fan information that's going on all the time. Um, Dan, thank you so much for uh, informing us a little bit more on the Riverside and also your thoughts of the uh, under-18 victory, the brilliant win 
uh, down at Plymouth Argyle and uh, hopefully when we get a date for the uh, Spurs and Chelsea uh, quarterfinal in the FA Youth Cup uh, we'll give you some more info on that and be good to see uh, some of you guys down there and uh, hopefully a few of us on the podcast will make it down ourselves so live feed Fulhamish will be back next week with a review of the Aston Villa game. Then we'll be looking forward to the Bristol City match in the same podcast uh, because midweek football is back. It's been actually quite a while since we've had a midweek game. Uh, Nice to be back under the floodlights once more. So thank you to my guest this evening, to Joe Johnson, uh, on his second appearance in the Fulhamish hot seat. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, To Dan Crawford, thank you very much. Thank you. And to Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Have a great weekend. Hopefully it's three points, and we'll see you later. You wait.